This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pirno. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. Today's guest is a writer at The Ringer, Nick Bond. He's also the creator of what we're going to talk about today, Kayfabe Metrics. Nick, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good. We just passed in the night, by the way. I was on Long Island tonight and I missed you. I, I passed your exit. What the exit. heck, man? Yeah, I passed your exit and I was like, oh, I should. I should <laughs> what were you doing out at 66, buddy? That's pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we are, baby. That's where we are. Yeah. East in Long Island. That's wonderful. Funny story about this episode. Nick was kind enough to make time for me earlier. We talked about a great article that he had written. And if you're a wrestling fan, you want to read about it because it translated to me about what makes a good heel, a good villain in wrestling. And while we were talking, he introduced me to this thing that he had created, which were, which I realized was a much more juicy topic for this audience. So I'm grateful, Nick, for both conversations, but I'm especially grateful that you offered to come back and do this one. Maybe we'll release the other one down the road or as a special episode or something, because it was pretty good. It's, it'll be a little bit less intensive because we talked last time, if people don't know, we talked about, uh, as you kind of mentioned, heels and faces and like... And how to make it make sense. All jargon and all of it. It's all carny stuff specifically. It's kayfabe speak, but it's it's carny. It's based... You can actually speak kayfabe. Yes. And people on the inside of wrestling and even, even smart marks, even like educated fans of wrestling do speak in the language, which makes it somewhat inaccessible, mm-hmm. but, but makes it really interesting for people on the inside of it. They, they know the language and that's, that's kind of a hook of being a fan of wrestling as a sport. No, and it can be a problem when you're trying to write about it and you're like, I can't, I have to explain what that word means. So I can't use it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it depends, I guess, on who's your yeah. audience, right? Well, Nick, that, if, if you're trying to write something broadly accessible, you use, you translate it. But if you're trying to write something for insiders, you, you, stay, yeah. you stay. In I used window. to have a website called Juice Make Sugar, which if you don't know, there's a video called Fun with Ahmed 2. It is Ahmed Johnson. He was a wrestler in the 90s. He did a video, he did videos for one of the video games and they're pretty incomprehensible because it's just him shouting and they do like the slogan, whatever they think he's saying at the bottom. And one of them is juice, make sugar. So I made a website out of that. And that was like <laughs> hardcore deep dive stuff. So it was all, all it was inside. almost written in a different language. But when I wrote for so, like, I wrote a thing yeah, called uh, how to watch wrestling on dig.com. And that was very much like a uh, 10,000 feet. Here's what, here's like what to look for. Here's how it works. And everything got an explanation had footnotes, like literally like 40 footnotes, which is like, this is what this means. This is what this means. <laughs> so you can get very jargony and, and it's, it, it becomes a problem for communication from a, like a marketing yourself as a writer perspective. Um, yeah. So that, that, that can definitely, it's very similar to trying to pick up the new issue of Avengers or X-Men and all the footnotes that say, see Avengers issue exactly. 131 from like, you know, 1989 for the back. Exactly. And it'll be like, it'll be because what happens in that context is it'll be an offhand mentioned by one of the characters and they'll have like an asterisk in the bottom. They'll have like, see editor's notes, see blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wait, I have to buy another one. I I thought this was a contained thing. Right. And this is not, I didn't sign up to be a fan for life and and I need to purchase a compendium. I just wanted to read one story about Nick. Sorry, buddy. That's not how it works. Let's talk. Let's just agree on some rules of the road for this conversation. Professional wrestling as a sport. Is it real or not? It's scripted. So the physicality in many ways is real. I've been close enough to see the guys take actual bumps. Like that is real. Are they really hitting each other as hard as they can? No, because they would die. Are they really slamming each other as hard as they can? No, because they would die. But they're uh, probably trying to approximate while doing so as best as they can. The thing that is 
different about it relative to what I call objective sports, as opposed to I consider wrestling like a subjective sport uh, in the way that you do like gymnastics or whatever, where it's judged almost is that it's scripted at the end, right? Like there is a plan at the end. Sometimes that goes awry, but for the most part, what was scripted to happen at the end of the match happens at the end of the match. That doesn't mean that the promotion didn't make a decision and that decision wasn't an allocation of resources. I think that's the best way to think about it. It's like all the decisions that are made as we get more into how I do the measurements are decisions being made by a company to do something in the same way that you start somebody a quarterback because you think you can win a game. It's the that's where it's very, very, very similar. You put people in position to win games, and by win games, in that the metric for that is selling tickets to put what they call putting butts in seat. Mm-hmm. And is it is it TV ratings? Is it tickets? Is it online clicks? Like so, is it all it's of all of the above. But I think that, and I'm writing a piece on this. It's going to be a big piece. It's going to be the biggest piece I ever I've ever written on the differences between Vince McMahon, uh, who was the owner of the company since 1980. He left the company about three six three months ago, three four months ago. Uh, his son-in-law Triple H took over, and there's this real dichotomy between the two. But back when Vince started, they booked to the house show is what they call it. So another way would happen is you put on a TV show like once a week, once a month, and people would watch it, and then they would want to go to the house show in their local area because the characters they saw on TV were going to be in their neighborhood. That has completely flipped for WWE specifically. Right. Other companies, that's still the case for the most part, that you're trying to get people to go to your live shows. WWE wants people to go to their live shows, in particular, they want them to go to live televised events and live pay-per-view events. Yep. But the main concern is maintaining, not necessarily increasing TV ratings because how they make mm-hmm. a lot of their money is like merch and stuff like that. Obviously, that scales on TV in a way that it doesn't in other mediums, but their live rights packages, that's that's where they, they get their revenue. That's their primary revenue source year to year. Is And that yeah. that's important because... What did you were you assigned the role, the job of creating the power board and coming up with the kayfabe? <laughs> so, funny story about that. I had a day off, I was just hanging out, you know, enjoying myself. And I like texted Shoemaker and I was like, Hey, man, do you want somebody to do the Peacemaker uh, reviews? And he was like, No, but Ringer has a WWE for the content uh, of the podcasts, they, they produce the podcast. And he's like, Hey, would you be interested? And I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would totally love my dream job, David. Yes, that would be awesome. Yeah. And then like a day later, he texts me. He's like, hey, man, I know this is weird, but have you ever like thought about how to measure value in the WWE? And I was like, oh, honey, that's my life's work. I had written, I had created with this fellow named Matthew Timmons. Great guy. Mm -hmm. He kind of invented this, like the core conceit of this. And I kind of built on it. And uh, basically... I sent him my white paper that I had written on the concept and all of the databases I had created. And he was like 10 minutes later. He's like, yeah, man, you got the job. This is a little crazy. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> he thought he'd be like, oh, yeah, I wonder if Nick had ever thought about it. And I was like, it's all I think about, buddy. I think about my, my wife, my child and, and math and wrestling. <laughs> Can we go back a yeah. step? Two steps, actually. And did you study no. math or are you just applying math out of a passion for trying to figure out how to measure something that is, uh, I like your use of subjective. Athletics. Yeah. So um, how do I put this? I am very good at math. When mm-hmm. I buckle down, I'm like exceptionally good at math when I buckle down and I am a garbage fire <laughs> when I don't. I, I studied political science and economics in college. So Economics is really, I'm I'm not a finance guy, I'm an economics guy. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to find value, not um, like leverage margins. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. 
it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And okay. So yeah. at some point you're a wrestling fan and you, you have this skill in math when it's applied. And at some point you say, mm -hmm. I would, I wonder if there's a way, yes. even though I know wrestling is scripted, these are tremendous athletes. I wonder if there's yeah. a way to create exactly an objective measurement in the subjective sport. Baseball, buddy. Where do you start? What's the first So the entire system is based off of, uh, I'm going to very quickly explain this. Slugging percentage is a function of the bases you hit, right? Divided by the number of, I believe, at bats. At bats and plate appearances are two different things. We don't have to discuss that. But basically, you take the amount of hits, and a single is worth one point, a double is worth two, triple is worth three, and a home run is worth four. When you divide that by the number, so if you had somebody who had a four slugging percentage, like 4.0, they'd hit a home run literally every single time they got it. That's where it comes from. So uh, house shows or live events are ones mm -hmm. uh, in between house shows and televised shows. So they do things on the network or on Peacock now, like small taped house shows. Essentially, those are twos. Those are doubles. Raw and SmackDown are triples and any pay-per-view is a home run. And that's kind of how I. So you are measuring yes. it based on appearances and each wins. appearance is like a base a wins at those things. And that's where it's important. So everything is measured as a, so to get very quickly into the difference between a plate appearance and a at bat, a plate appearance, all <laughs> at bats are plate appearances, but not all plate appearances are at bats. Every time you show up and stand in the batter's box or show up and have a match that counts in our system. But it might not count, say, if you had a no contest, double DQ, uh, double count out. That doesn't count towards your winning percentage or think about it like a hit a batting average. Mm -hmm. um, but any law, actual loss will. So that's that's where the distinction comes in in terms of that stuff. Let me reset so listeners are keeping up. So Nick yeah. is basing it on baseball, which has, you know, the batting average, yes. if, even if you're a casual baseball fan, but slugging percentage is measuring yeah. your percentage of bases that you get per at bat, which is a very particular in baseball, which is why people hate baseball. Uh, is a different is a specific type of appearance. The nuance between the type of plate appearance you might have changes the slugging percentage and your OBP and your batting average. That's important mm -hmm. because yes. he took that model and you then then you applied it to wrestling. But obviously, we don't have at bets in wrestling. We don't have any of the same stats as other pro sports. So you used wins instead of hits. And then instead of appearance or, or at bats or plate appearances, you used the type of matches Magic. or how the matches were broadcast mm -hmm. or who was in attendance. Each match is, an, is a plate appearance. Each win is a hit. And when you get a hit, what determines how far you got let's say first base, second uh -huh. base, third base home run is the importance of the show. And the way I explained it in the white paper I wrote is think about wrestling as though you would baseball. If the team could script that the player that hit the home run to win the game, like Aaron judge is going to hit the home run to win the game. That's basically what wrestling is. So basically what I'm saying is no, you chose this guy to win at this level. That means you're allocating this many resources to him. That means to your company, he has this much value relative to his peers. In the same way that that guy generated the value, Aaron Judge generated that value. It makes sense Does that make sense? How, how have you tweaked yeah. it from the original formulation of this, of this model? We also, so I basically, what I did is I took the core of the slugging percentage mechanic and I added um, what we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, gimmicks. So title matches, and those are all marketing things. Those are all marketing things that add value to whatever, especially on house shows, right? Champions almost always perform on house shows because 
how shows are really important to understand. That's the thing that like nerds like you and I would go pay to see a show that no one else saw just so we could see live wrestling. Like when you pay to go see a live event, you are a very mm-hmm. serious fan who wants to pay to see specific yes. things happen. So you have like champions lose all the time, but they never lose officially. They always lose by DQ and stuff like that. But the fact that they are booked in a championship match means that they have value to the company and the company is allocating promotional resources to them. And this is all to, we don't determine the kayfabe metrics doesn't determine who's good or bad, right? It determines how the company is allocating resources to them. And that's the most important distinction for people to understand is that like, this is a company allocating resources and time, promotional time specifically, because that's the other component. We have the gimmick component, which is like fancy matches, big prominent matches, stuff like that. And then the time component is a sliding scale. So if you have a very long match, even if you lose it, they yes. just give you 25 minutes of right. their two-hour show. So if you, that has a, value. if you have a 24-minute match at WrestleMania, for example, you're even if you even mm-hmm. if you take the loss. They gave you that, that screen time on their most important event. or but Yes, that's exactly what it is. Is that, oh, you know how in sports they're like, oh, they're misusing them. They're not being fair. That's how they talk about athletes in professional wrestling. And they'll say they're yes. burying somebody as opposed to pushing them. And that's actually the power of the pop number that we use at the ringer is the power of the push. And the opposite of the push is a burial. The only time you get buried is when you lose quickly on TV to somebody that's it that's the only time when you get what they call squashed when you get embarrassed on tv is the only time your value is actually being pushed down in a meaningful way outside of that they don't want they are allocating tv time they're allocating resources to you promotional resources to you they don't want you to look bad they just might want somebody to look better relative to you does that that all make sense uh if okay (laughs) i hope it makes sense everybody else (laughs) so i do want to ask about squash matches then so if I'm a mm-hmm. if I'm a former, you know, lower first tier, I'm on the TV card somewhat regularly. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I split my wins and losses on the the Fox TV show. Then yes. I get put in a series of squashes where I lose in, you know, under five minutes or under three minutes, I'm assuming is Oh, that's very bad for does you. Does that mean that's they're getting very ready bad to, for you? Can I predict anything based on that for that yes. athlete? So usually you can, but sometimes it's counterintuitive because uh, they sometimes they want to break people mm-hmm. down to build them back up. So what you do is you you check the swing, right? Because Austin Theory, I just wrote a piece. On, um, uh, I actually thought it wasn't that great. And then everybody was like, this is like the one that's gotten I the second most traction behind it. Yeah, go ahead. Before he left, Vince had handpicked publicly Austin Theory, a nice young man. He's about 24. He's from Atlanta. Um Looks great, all that stuff, great in the ring. He had been handpicked by Vince to be the one of the features of the company. And then when Vince left, literally the storyline became like, your daddy isn't here anymore. Like, you got to stand on your own. And he got, he lost a bunch of matches. And then last week, he was the closing segment of the show. He beat up the most prominent champion on the show. And earlier in the show, about two segments earlier, he had a 15 minute match. And that's a push. But they're trying to tell a story. So it's going to be incremental, right? That is usually how somebody getting buried works. You can also look at somebody like Sonya Deville is the only person, bless her heart, in our system that has a negative (laughs) value. Because every time she's on TV, and that's the point of her character, and it's wonderful, and she's very good at it. She has a negative two. To give you an idea, the number one person in our system is Bianca Belair. Her pop plus is. 253 <laughs> and Sonia's is negative two. 
literally like a hundred times better pushed or more resources are allocated efficiently to Bianca for promotional purposes. But also you do need people like Sonya. And that's why tracking this stuff is important because you can literally see like how they structure their cards. Because what I can't do is tell you who's going to win or lose. What I can do is yeah. tell you who's going to be on the card. Yes. That's how you actually translate the value. And you can say, well, Bianca's almost certainly going to win because look how hard she's pushed. But it, the marginal stuff of, uh, let's say, you're looking at somebody has like a score of, and this is completely arbitrary, I'm just making this up, 100, 150, which is to say they are pushed 1.5 times the average because the average is 100, right? The way we have our system. So 150 would be, you're just, you know, pushed slightly better than somebody. That person, let's say they went up against somebody who had a 1.4 times or yeah. 140. I can't guarantee they're going to win or, win or lose. That's not how it works. But I can say Ronda Rousey is going to beat Sonya because Ronda Rousey is a champion and Sonya is barely on TV and her whole job is to a, lose. She's a high profile so it's, jobber whose, whose job is to help someone yes. look good. Yes, exactly. And jobbers are basically people whose job... And I wrote a piece called um, The Miz and the New Brooklyn Brawlers, which is about this general idea of paying yeah. people to lose. They are literally paid to make other people look good, to go back to that. No one wants the people on their show, if they're doing a good job, to look bad. If I look at the way this sort of measurement is used in athletics, business, or elsewhere, it's typically used as some kind of forecast where you say, all right, Aaron Judge mm -hmm. has 59 home runs and he is batting at that mm -hmm. point, you know, over just around 300. So he's been up twice tonight and struck out. So this third one, he should get a hit in one of his last two at-bats if the trend holds. And you're making forecasts. And then in baseball, the, the annoying thing is that then you look at the pitcher and then you look at lefties and righties and then you look at the shift and the shift is off and all the things that affect the stats. Mm -hmm. Does the pop plus that you've created here lead to any kind of successful forecasting that you've seen? Or has anybody tried to leverage it that way? Or is it more just... Nobody's tried to leverage it, but I think the important thing to understand it and your, what you use is a perfect example. You and I both know as, as baseball nerds, batting errors doesn't tell you that yes. much, right? <laughs> like what actually tells you a lot about who's going to get an exit mm -hmm. is like XFIP, right? Like field independent <laughs> pitching and field independent hitting and stuff like that. That's actually the predictive stuff. That's the next level stats, right? And those we haven't gotten to. We're, right now, we are at the, the stage in development because you have people like um, Chris Harrington, Mookie Ghana on Twitter, uh, was, is like one of the godfathers of this field. But he focused almost exclusively on the concept of what he called mm -hmm. WrestleNomics way more advanced, way more mathy stuff than me about regressions to the mean and, and all of that and standard deviations, all that fun stuff. Right. Oh, so his is based on kind of an average performance. I don't know. I don't uh, know from a financials though. He pulls yeah. the financials, which is how he got a job at AEW. He does that for oh. AEW now because he became such an expert in how different markets react to different things. So that's, I am more of the like, I'm really good with slugging percentage and I'm an okay writer. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not to say that this didn't take a lot of work or there wasn't a lot of work put into it or this doesn't tell you anything. But those predictive capabilities are not quite where it is yet. Beyond, like, I couldn't, if I were to pick pay per view matches every, every month, right? I don't think I would do insanely well i'd probably do better than average of flipping a coin right but not 
crazy better because WWE, since it's predetermined, knows mm-hmm. what they're doing, right? So they know they're pushing somebody really hard and they might want to use that leverage that they've, that promotional leverage, right? To platform somebody else by having them beat. Like that, you really should, if you're listening to this and want to use this, all of this stuff is marketing. All of it is marketing a, a, a brand to your consumer. Like all wrestling is. That's why they have, that's why all, every individual wrestler you've ever seen, almost to a person, has a logo that has been designed and t-shirts you can buy and catch rate. It's all marketing. It's all marketing these folks to your fans. That's all it is. And figuring out who's the best person to put it under at the end of our show. So people come back the next time to see that person end the show again. Do you get people offering suggestions or challenging the pop plus measure or, or trying to strengthen it? I'll tell you what, not near, not as much as I thought I was going to get. Um, because it seems to be doing well. Like, I do get comments, but they're mostly like, yeah, hey, this is fun, but could you please change the background color? This is bright red. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for the most part, no, people haven't really challenged it. I think because my information's accurate. Nothing's crazy. It's not like, especially because I, I added another mechanic and I didn't, I didn't get a chance oh. to men- mention this. The most important mechanic in terms of determining who gets towards the top of the the power rankings that we have is how many shows they've been on relative mm-hmm. to everyone else. So for instance, and it's a, it is on show percentage. So it's OSP as opposed to OBP. Uh, and basically what we do is we take a raw score that we have, the pop score, and we multiply it by the OSP. And that's how we get your, like your weighted pop score, which then gets plussed. So the plus comes from the 250 comes from, and this is how ERA works in baseball. You can have ERA plus, which is you take the average, all ERAs, all qualifying ERAs in the entire system, and you divide it in the average. You then take the average and you go, okay, so like, let's say somebody had one, right? I'm trying to make sure I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody had a slugging percentage of one. Somebody had a slugging percentage of 1.2, right? The average was one, right? For the entire league. Let me, let me reset that. If you had an average, right, of one for slugging percentage yeah. in the entire league, and somebody had a 1.2 slugging percentage, that is a SLG slugging percentage plus of 120 because the average is right. 100, essentially. And that's how the system is set up. So that, that's where you get these kind of yeah, but wild So you're spreads. indexing against um, a, an average or a, me- or a median, right? Yes, yeah, but the on-show percentage, that mechanic is the thing that makes like Drew McIntyre a top five guy. Because Drew McIntyre's worked a hundred, let me, I think it's like 193 he matches. He's worked 192 as of the site update. Maybe there was a, there could have been something. Yeah, so last week, as of last week, he had 192 matches over two years. So you reward him because not only are they telling you when we put him in on a show, it's going to be in a position to win. We're going to put him on every show we have yeah. all of them if like he appears all the time all over the place he works every night that is something which is why he gets the, despite the fact that he hasn't been uh presented as the strongest performer on the show he is consistently put into position to challenge the other like top competitors because he is he does well all of the time he doesn't do great ever does that all make does that make sense like he never outperforms his what you expect but he always does really well consistently the 190 times they have in front of you so that's something our system rewards because that to me is the 
thing that tells you how the performer is performing is how often and is they that a function of so we used Aaron Judge as a as an example in in batting average in baseball. So let's talk about Drew McIntyre. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you and I talked about before we hit record, Aaron Judge had a great year, but he has this history of injuries. Is is but once he got mm-hmm. the push, once he could stay on the field for pretty much a hundred game, hundred and fifty games, I think he appeared in this year. He was the superstar yeah. that they had, the Yankees had been waiting for. Drew McIntyre, yeah. is he getting the push as a function of his skill, his technical ability, his athletics, or is it uh, is some part of it durability that he can take these bumps and continue to show up, you know, at the end of the week for whatever the second show is, the house show that's at the end of the week? Um, yes, to both. Uh, it's it's honestly a comedy. It's in other words, Aaron Judge isn't going to get a four hundred and twenty at bats if he's batting two forty three and hitting. Slugging six hundred, yeah. you know, well, it's just not going to half the season, yeah. or maybe six hundred. Yeah, exactly. Like he's just not going to get as many at bats. So it is a function of both. But the as always, the most important ability is availability, <laughs> and that is key. So I think that a lot of it is on a personal level, uh, in terms of your. I don't want to say your commitment because it's not about that. These folks, these men and women, dedicate their lives to this company and to the fans. But it is a matter of like, do I want that to be my life? Not necessarily. A lot of people like Ronda Rousey. Uh, obviously, she's an incredibly big star relative to a mm-hmm. lot of the people on the show. She shows up at house shows. She does house shows. She just doesn't do all of them because yeah. she has a two year old. Right. Like, so, and what's crazy is Becky. How often Becky and Seth were, but they traveled with their child. And and I, I was saying to you, it's my daughter's birthday today. Um, we're recording on the sixteenth. Her her due date was the same as. Uh, Ro, the uh, who is um, Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch's child, like she's my kid's age almost yeah. exactly, and they brought her around the country. God bless, wow. seemed to work well. Uh, like, but it's like that's the way you do it. That's the only way you can do it when you have a family. Like, there, there's wrestling is known for like the history of broken families and stuff like that, and that has changed immensely in the last fifteen to twenty years. And part of it is that. You no longer expected to work three hundred. I did um, for funsies, right? Some weird. I did Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. I did like two years of them. Randy Savage had four hundred <laughs> matches in two years. Four hundred. <laughs> That's insane. True McIntyre has a hundred ninety-three, and I'm like, damn, dude, you might yeah. want to slow down. And he had more than yeah. double that. And it's like, that. you wonder why he had a heart attack when he was got rid of salt. Like, you can't do that to your body. Um, yeah, like, so that's that's part of it, is that it's a labor thing. And these are independent contractors, so they're not required necessarily in the way that a contracted employee, they're supposed to make their contracted dates, right? But, like, I think the dynamic is a little different. Like, you're not signed up for the roster like if you can't make it, they'll. It seems like they'll work stuff out with you if you have a family emergency or something like that. Because the card says the card yes. is subject to change. It's a little bit more. Di- it's a little bit more dynamic of a relationship than sports. Also, they're not required by the commissioner or anything like that to report injuries, so you don't know who's injured or not, right? Like sometimes they release a statement, but in sports. Because of gambling, I don't know if everybody knows this, but literally because of gambling, that's why you need to know yeah. who's injured or not. Uh, 
Yeah, that's the only reason you would actually care about this play. <laughs> Unless you were a family that wanted to go see, but I mean, like, come on. I mean, it matters for <laughs> top-tier players, or, you know, but it doesn't matter for the second-string yeah. cornerback. Yeah, it doesn't. Exactly. It's like, I don't need to know if they're sixth, the seventh man on their exactly. bench, bench is playing, but I do need to know if if I'm right. betting yeah, the over-under. Yeah, that's a huge <laughs> So you mentioned that, that you wrote this, you created this. It is published on The Ringer. And the ringer it has a mm-hmm. has a content deal with WWE. That's amazing. With tons of podcasts, mm-hmm. tons of writing. Oh yeah, it's, it's actually I'm surprised every yes. day by how much wrestling content is there. Has I feel so blessed to be able to be part of it. Like I got so lucky in so many different ways with it. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm really happy no, with it. Sorry, it's, continue. It's really, the the stories that are written about wrestling take on a different tone, which is I want to which is what I wanted to ask you about because. If you're writing about football, pro football or college football too, it doesn't really matter. There are the objective wins and losses and performance, but the Mm -hmm. writing about wrestling has this weird, well, I guess this is true of pro sports too. You're writing at the same time about what happened in the ring, what it means for the character and what the company is doing. And more broadly, like the strategy Mm -hmm. of the company all in the same sentence. Sometimes that's like, you have to refer to, yeah, politics. Yeah, it's everything from the. It's very yeah. similar to writing about politics, and I know this because I was a political science major. It's very, very, very. So I wrote a piece about six years ago about Trump, and like I know a lot of people complain now about like oh, not everything. No, everything is wrestling. I promise you. I give, you give me ten minutes. I, you know what I'm saying? Like anything you say to me, I can basically tell you how close it is to wrestling. I used to have a yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. about that. <laughs> so like, yeah, that's what it's like writing about politics because you have to contextualize everything in such a way that it becomes like you or you have to accept that you're going to remove context and make it less um a total story right where with sports they won they lost period mm-hmm. they got injured they didn't get injured it's much more straightforward but i used to work at a website called the classical where um right now um david roth some people may know he writes for a website called the defector he used to be a deadspin um a bunch of people people like vice and stuff like that we used to write about sports but we wouldn't write game stories or anything. Actually, Deadspin's also a great example of this. Deadspin used to write no game stories except for one game story. Every time the Cardinals lost for an entire season, they wrote a game <laughs> story written as though it was a, just a, a what they call a gamer for them, but written in a way that they had hoped to lose. It's like really, it was satire. It was explicitly satire. But like most websites, the, the Ringer doesn't write game stories per se they do occasionally but they do follow-up stuff or podcast that's how they do their gamers right uh so like that's where a lot of that comes from when i uh, sorry what was the original question i ran oh no it's it's all good i mean you were talking about how it's all writing about politics now every every story has to be contextual yeah so yeah and and the other thing is is you don't want to i don't say you don't want to but there is these like this fandom, right, of these performers. Like I remember the only time I've ever gotten any smack talk or anything online from somebody that about something I wrote that was kayfabe or metrics related was this random person. I wrote about Alexa Bliss once, right? I was like, it's crazy. Alexa Bliss in 2017 lost like 22 straight house shows. I was like, oh, that's crazy. It's like people pay to see her lose all the time. And of Al- Alexa Bliss fan 39 or whatever starts like arguing with me about this. 
And I'm like, and they're like, it's not canon and all this stuff. And I'm like, you are, you are a nerd beyond nerds. I do not have time for this conversation. But what you have is these people who are like, that's not, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean what you think it is. And it's like, that's where you kind of have to, I never lead with my yeah. chin when I write. I, I don't necessarily like, I'm not afraid to like say how I actually feel, but I always want to make it as clear as possible how I actually feel. And with politics, that can also be hard because you're not trying to place a value judgment on the things you're saying, right? You're trying to say, this is what's happening and this is what it means relative to what this means. So like, if you're talking about policy, right? You're like, okay, this is the policy now. And this is the policy, what the policy changes that are being suggested would do. That's what a news story should be about a policy change, right? But what ends up happening is it's all uh, with the, the inside baseball stuff. It's all horse race coverage. It's not, it's process stories is what they call it. And a lot of wrestling journalism for a very long time was process stories. And I think it's starting to become a lot more, and this is Shoemaker. This is David Shoemaker. He's the person in charge of content at, w, at, at, at The Ringer uh, for WWE. He was really the first person he started at Deadspin uh, with the Dead Wrestler of the Week column. And it was every year, it was essentially every week, it was an elegy, a eulogy, however you want to put it, to a, a past performer who had, had, had left us. And it was these, some of them were really beautiful pieces of writing. Like David's an excellent writer. But that was the first time I think a lot of us went, oh, shit, can I, I can't curse. Oh, shit. Like you can do stuff. You can, you know, write, you can like, write. Oh, I don't have to just this. do this. Exactly. And you can write about what we talk about when we talk about playing, right? Which is, which is what the classical was about, was what we talk about. We used to, we had a, our most popular thing when we were at the classical was a thing called Why We Watch. We did like 60 of them because people had, a, and we, what it was is somebody would literally write about like their favorite basketball player and just talk about why they love them. It was all vibes based, right? Like, and that's what wrestling writing can be, but you do want to structure it a little bit, right? Because it's such an insular world that you want to give people scaffolding that they can, they can like engage with it on. Uh, Cause it, it can be hard. Like you said, you've been, well, you watched, but it's like, we can get into like, Oh, well, is he okay? It, like you watch it and you're like, Oh, is he okay? Oh, he's selling. Well, what do you mean? He's selling. Like there's so much intri- yes. intricacies. Like I wrote in the theory piece, like we don't know. There's a wrestler about 20 years ago who uh, lost what they call the money in the break briefcase. You can read the piece to better understand what the money in the break bank briefcase does, but there was no way of knowing if he got hurt during, before, or after the match. That, but what ended up having a storyline is he just went away. So you don't know like what could have happened to that. Where like when you watch regular sports, right? You're like, oh, they don't have the right guard, and that guy keeps giving up sacks, right? Like they just fill the hole and create a completely new universe and a new reality in a way that is just simply not the case with other sports. So these people are not interchangeable is the biggest difference between sports. And there's no value over replacement player in terms of quality. There's only value in terms, there's not even value in terms of replacement player in terms of push. It's how much more of a, how much more is the company giving you than you giving the company? Like I said, we are, measuring allocated value not um mm-hmm. production do you measure this i know it's published for for wwe do you measure it for aew or other promotions oh god no god no i i, I have a <laughs> i have a kid adam i have a kid is it a, is it full-time measured by job. anybody else who doesn't have <laughs> that so i will say this so well, what gets complicated with AEWs? they don't really do house shows you need the structure right you need house shows the twos, yes. the threes, and the fours. Um, so like WCW, right? Back in the 90s, I just did a piece on um, 
Vader, who's my all, one of my two or three all-time favorite wrestlers, a big man named Big Van Vader. He's actually in a couple of episodes of Boy Meets World for anybody. He's the wrestler that appears in Boy Meets World. Um, I wrote a piece on him. And what was really interesting was trying to figure out how to allocate points or like, you know, value to the different kinds of shows they had on WCW at the time. Because there was like WCW Saturday Night, which is their flagship show, right? So that would be the equivalent of the modern day Raw or SmackDown in WWE. But then they have like Worldwide and Pro and Power and they have all these things. And you're like, is this a B show? Is this a C show? Is like, like this worse than a house show? So it becomes this like you're trying to figure out, you're trying to translate old languages into modern times is what, what can happen. With AEW, like I said, they just don't Your have house shows. It's just different. So it's so different that it's difficult. And you couldn't do this with any of the ends. Yeah. You just couldn't. Because all independent, and if everybody doesn't know, independent wrestling promotions are basically like independent record labels or independent venues. Like you can go play at them, but you don't, you're not contractually obligated to them for the most part. Some places are, do have people on contract but for the most part. You are like the definition of a freelancer. Um, unless you're at the highest level, like you're um, Kevin Owens, uh, who is now in WWE when he was performing as Kevin Steen, he was signed to ROH, but also worked at PWG, which is pro wrestling gorilla. ROH is the East coast in the biggest East coast in the mm-hmm. promotion ring of honor. The biggest West coast was uh pro wrestling gorilla and he worked both, but there was also an understanding between those two promotions that it's beneficial to cross promote across the country. Um, so that, that that's where you kind of like, you can't do this really with, you have to revamp the system. Which is fine. I could do it, but it, it becomes that's why I can't necessarily just do it for AW or Impact or MLW or no, sure no, missing this one. Is, this is really helpful. <laughs> so it also then, I guess over yeah. time, have you thought about how this could be an indicator of health of WWE as a promotion? Because if I look at, you know, you mentioned uh Drew McIntyre wrestling, you know, 192 matches. You might look over time and mm-hmm. see that the the mean or the median number of matches is de- is declining over time. It's 101 today, but maybe yeah. in two years it's it's 115 yeah. because they're putting they're they're doing well, so they're having more shows. Oh, definitely. Well, it's not so yes and no. So yes, but and I will say this: the last two years or the the previous two years to this one were obviously messed yeah, up for reasons. So they didn't have house shows basically all through 2020 and through most of 2021. They started doing house shows again in July of 2021. So those numbers are skewed wildly. You're talking before that, the highest you would get would be like 180 a year, right? Um, That's like the highest high end. It's usually tag teams because you're, I'm not saying you're doing half the work, but you're not doing as much work as you would be if you were a singles competitor, right? And if you're, and if you're hurt, your partner can just work most of the match in a way that you can't if you're a singles competitor. (laughs) So like that's where, so I would come back if we, we can do this again in two years, (laughs) if I'm still working at the ringer and I will tell you whether or not that's true. But yes, I think it is. You can see the ways in which raising the average is good, but they have also streamlined their operations. So they used to just have, I think I can do this. Just give me a second. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday was their schedule. Friday was a house show. Saturday and Sunday were house shows. Monday and Tuesday were Raw and then the SmackDown taping. So it's five days in a row. And then you would fly home on Wednesday and then fly out on Thursday night because you had to report to... You had to be at the arena at 3 o'clock for a show. 
Now they were two house shows and one televised show and a pay-per-view every month. So you're talking per week, they're working three to four as opposed to every week working five and then wow. sometimes six. Like, because some people would, if you weren't like you would work a house, you know what I'm saying? Like they would work crazy things and maybe not necessarily work six, but it was consistent. You were working five every week. Yeah, two days off. That was it. So like, that's a big change. Because uh, now they they branded specifically the two house shows. They're the Sunday Stunner and the Saturday Night's Main Event for anybody that grew up in the eighties. That's that was very funny to me. I was like, wait, wait, that, bro- yeah. wow, that is really yeah. devalued. I thought NBC would have <laughs> the trademark. <laughs> no, 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 no. Dick yeah. Eversol was like, you can have it. Yeah, <laughs> We're not using it. it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's where like I think that dynamic will change. So I can't say definitively that, but I can say yes. It tells me they're back on house shows, and house shows are always indicative of the business doing well. If you're having house shows, and you're not having less house shows for anything other than like a pandemic. Things are going well. Um, so there are metrics you can use to tell. I have to get into, and this is where it becomes difficult. What you really need to do to figure out how it's working for them is, yeah, the ratings are actually going up, but trends are helpful, right? Um, but uh, house show attendance and house show gates are the two big things that help would help with that aspect of it in terms of the health of the company. Because, like I said, most of their revenue is from licensing deals, uh, um, live rights, and the Saudi money, which is literally... So to put the Saudi money in perspective, I think it is more than every ticket sold to every WrestleMania in history oh. times two. I think the total amount of tickets sold at WrestleMania is like 220 million, which, you know, good, yeah. good work if you can get it. I think the Saudi deal is like 500 million. Like it's an insane, I think it's 10 years, 50 million a year. So like, that's where it comes from. So like, that's the difference you're talking about is like, they don't need the, the, the day-to-day stuff. But what, what I would actually want to check is like, they're they're and they actually do have these metrics it's in their their uh investors reports that's actually how you tell the that well the health of the company relative to the performers right because what what would actually and we've talked about it but it's only the first year so we're not really going too crazy what i'd eventually like to do is associate things like uh social media followers Mm -hmm. and um and merchandise sales and stuff like that. And that's really where you get the infusion of is this, this is the X fit. This is the, you know, the, the fielding independent stuff. This is the really advanced stuff that like lets you peer yeah, into not, the future and, and see what they're reliant. It's depending on the charisma of the athlete and how the athlete reaches the audience on their Yes. Own. And the aesthetics yeah. of the athletes. That's really, really important. Like, I don't like there are performers I don't like love, but I love their shirts. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot and there's people I do love. Actually, the better example is the other way. It's like, I love Drew McIntyre. All of his shirts are like nerd metal shirts, which God bless you if you like metal. I'm not I like, like wearing like I like wearing stuff that if you look at it, you're not like, oh, this right. is a wrestling shirt. You're like, oh, that's a cool shirt. Or that's, you know, that looks nice. Or it's not gaudy. Also, it's black. I hate black <laughs> shirts and all wrestling shirts, basically. Like almost all of the shirts I have for wrestling are not black. Because like whenever they have one, I'm like, I'm gonna support this just because yeah. this is what right, I want. right. I'm gonna buy it just to, so they you hope someone gets the idea that they can do something <laughs> not black. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like, but that's where you're really getting the like health of the company in the big picture sense. But I definitely do agree with you, and I definitely do think there is value in looking at the average amount of matches everybody who's working because that's actually the reason that's important because it shows you how mm-hmm. healthy the roster is. 
And that's really important because like two of their biggest stars are out right now. Becky Lynch, who is the, maybe their biggest star outside of, no, she's their biggest star. Her and Roman Reigns are the biggest stars. And Charlotte Flair, who's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, mm-hmm. are both out. Uh, Charlotte's not actually hurt as far as I can tell. She's working through some stuff and also she just got married. So, you know, take some time off and you've earned it. <laughs> you've been the best wrestler in the company for the last five years. Go ahead, take some time off. Uh, and Becky separated her shoulder. So she's recovering from that. But those are two people also had a hundred matches. Becky had like 80 matches and, and Charlotte had 114 when she left. Like she had 114 in May. Like she was a workhorse. So like these are that's where you actually see the value depleted is you're like, oh, God, yeah. they're missing people like the amount of people I have with over 100 matches that haven't worked because they're hurt. is like I wonder, six yeah, so I wonder like, if WWE might use this because it's like um, going back to baseball. It's like relief pitchers that are innings eaters. It, I know I have to get through in the mm-hmm. course of a week. I know I have to get through what nine times six, uh, 54 innings. And if someone can throw eight innings a week without complaining, like that's a valuable mm-hmm. person. But yeah, it's what Drew McIntyre does. He's in he, him and Sheamus and guys like that. They're innings eaters. They're on the TV to get beat up or beat people up for 10 to 15 minutes every single time because they're good at it. And they, people want to see him for 15 minutes. That's the biggest thing is people aren't going to change the channel when those big beefy yeah, boys are I bumping into each other. There's like a load management <laughs> model where they're looking and saying, okay, in uh, May, they oh, should not have more than a hundred ma- uh, appearances. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, definitely. I definitely think that they kind of go, Hey man, but also you, these are athletes. These are high. There's some of the highest level professional athletes there are in terms of like the not, obviously they're not uh, Justin Jefferson on the Minnesota Vikings. Right. But they're like that lineman saying they just don't, they may not be as big, but they're, they're that skilled athletes and they're that trained and that relative to their peers that good. So like these people don't want to, and they love money. A lot of them. Like they do. I'm not like, you know, appearance, like, I'm not right? the biggest like, capital. Yeah, I'm not the biggest capitalist, yeah, I, but I get I, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, no, that that's a lot of it. Is you can't as long as they're putting on the show that they're supposed to, you can't necessarily tell them like, hey, don't work, can't work unless you're going to take them off. So that's where it becomes complicated. But what you can do is go slow it down, slow it way, mm-hmm. way, way down. Like there's there's people who in the territory days wouldn't take bumps they wouldn't their their ass was not touching the mat (laughs) like like they're gonna powder the outside and they're gonna lose by count up but they're not taking a bump for you man protecting the product (laughs) yeah they're they're protecting the product they're protecting their bodies it was smart (laughs) like the one of the big things that a lot of the older guys are like you don't need to be doing all that buddy not that it's not cool but like you're gonna hurt yourself like there's like Randy Orton is one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. He does like 10 moves. It's all the way he rolls out of the ring, the way he sits in the corner, the way he looks at his opponent, the way he slides, the way he glides in the ring. That's what makes him Randy Orton. Not that the fact that he can like do a hammer lock and then do a, like a backflip or whatever. No, that's never been him. It's about getting people to engage with, the thing that you're presenting and he does it exceptionally well. And that's what, as you get older performers do. Drew McIntyre doesn't do all the moves he did when he was a kid. Brock Lesnar used to do Brock Lesnar. Used to do a backflip, which is insane. His, if you, if people aren't familiar, he's, I don't know how, how close he is. Six foot four, yeah, 285 pounds. And he's, he has muscles in places. Other people don't have. <laughs> places like yeah. he's one it's, of those he's barely, like he has he's like an evolved human 
Yeah, uh, Pat McAfee calls him the alpha male of our species, but he looks like, he honestly looks like a gorilla person. Like, he looks like a person that they were like, no, we're going to make him up look like a gorilla, but that's what he looks like. And he did a, back, he used to do backflips, and they were yeah, like, let's not do what that are you anymore. doing, man? You're going to literally break your neck. Um, Nick, this is amazing. Um, we're... Uh, was this okay? I'm no, sorry if I rambled. It's just delightful. Um... <laughs> nobody's ever said it's that to me, buddy. Because it, it communicates your passion for this and your your interest oh, in i love this stuff which so much i think for people listening the idea of how do you derive the formula is there is a science there's math behind it but it, if you weren't interested in it if you weren't passionate about solving that question you wouldn't have done it so i think i think the mm-hmm. rambling is, oh, yeah. is actually helpful where can people find you online? Uh, the Nixner, T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. And that is on Twitter for the time being. <laughs> I think I'm on Instagram with that too, but I only have like four pictures on Instagram. I'm more of a lurker on Instagram. And you can check me out at theringer.com slash authors slash Nick hyphen bond or wrestling.theringer.com. That's the power board we just talked about. And you can see the numbers. And then I do a little copy blurb. Um, a lot of jokes in that uh, that are specifically for me, like a lot <laughs> of Venture Brothers jokes, jokes and stuff catch, like that. I catch 80% of them, I think. Thank you, buddy. You, you're so nice to me. <laughs> I think I just enjoy it. I just enjoy what you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining. Thank I'll you. link to all those places uh, in the show notes here. But uh, I appreciate the first conversation. I appreciate the second conversation. And God willing, we will we will meet again. Oh, yeah. Anytime, buddy. I'm happy to be a regular on this. I love talking. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Pierno. If you like what you've heard, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Actually, I have no idea if that helps or if it's ever done anybody any good. If you really want to help the show and you like what you've heard, share it with someone else you think will dig it. That's the best way to help the show and keep the conversation growing. If you have an idea, a question, or want to push back, go to thatsnotaninsight.com where you can send me a message or leave me a voicemail that will be added to future shows. Music for the Strategy Inside Everything is by Saw Square Noise. For more information on me, you can go to adampiero.com to learn about my books, my speaking, and my consulting practice. Thanks for listening. We're the millennial generation. We're special, one of a kind. It's our turn, our time to shine. Introducing In The Demo, a new podcast about how stories of groups are created, subverted, and destroyed. My immediate takeaway from this is like, millennials are a pain in the ass for boomers. I bet you if we went back even 2018, we would find articles where it's millennials blaming boomers for the shortage of affordable housing. On the first season, experienced strategists and researchers Farah Bostic and Adam Piano pursue the origins of the millennial myth. When did that change? Early on, there was this optimism about 100 plus million people that were going to change the world. And now the narrative is, can you believe these damn kids? How did the generation of hope become the enemy? Where do stories this big come from? And why does it matter? It's astrology for marketers, and it's about as useful 
We're special, one of a kind. We're the millennial generation. In the demo, season one. Available now. Wherever you get your podcasts, go to in the demo podcast.com for behind the scenes research and supporting information. <laughs>